and welcome to the Lampkin and Elm podcast. I'm Jason, your host. In this podcast, we discuss 90s and back horror. That's now the classic era as far as I'm concerned because it's coming up a lot of it's 30 years old. Uh, we'll dabble in a little sci-fi. We'll dabble in a little horror video game and physical media, which is going to be the subject of today. Why is physical media so important? Our 2023 bests, worsts, or I, I shouldn't say worst, let's say disappointing. And all that other fun stuff about putting a movie in a player and watching it. The biggest breakthrough in physical media for home use came way back in the high middle ages in Germany. A gentleman named Gutenberg made a printing press that made it far easier to uh, distribute papers, documents, and of course the biggest thing, books. Uh, the biggest book of the time that was a number one seller for the previous 13, 1400 years was of course the Bible. So it was the most important book at the time. And before that, you had to have somebody sitting at a desk, generally a monk or a priest, somebody educated, and they had to hand draw, hand letter, and a, a book. And that would take years for one book. The ability to quickly make books out of paper, uh, not vellum, which is sheepskin, made getting material to the masses far easier. Uh, the United States was founded on, by a lot of uh, publishers. Ben Franklin was the biggest one, you could say. Uh, his almanacs and his, uh, I believe, Silence Do Good, his pen name for advice, kind of Dear Abby-ish, definitely uh, were early going out of colonial era into the time of the United States of America, uh, definitely were foundationally uh, important to American media. You then get into the revolution where you needed to distribute uh, information about why the heck we are going to take on the biggest naval power in the world and expect to win, but you do that through communication. Like everything... Like everything in humanity, communication is key. Be it art, be it music, be it sound, be it the the written and spoken word, communication is key. And if you're trying to prove a point or make a point of why we should go it alone, you definitely need to get information out there in an efficient manner. And in the late 1700s, that was the printing press. So you wouldn't have give me liberty or give me death uh, efficiently passed out to many people. The Federalist Papers, all that fun and exciting uh, propaganda. Yeah, uh, more so effective communication for policy creation. By the 1800s, there was this mass adoption of the printing press. Uh, the newspaper became a the the main medium of communication, uh, especially in London. There's wonderful books written on how the media covered 
crime, especially crime. Everybody loves we now we still listen to horror podcasts and it will not stop. Netflix uh, makes that new somebody murdered somebody documentary and it's the first thing on people's list to watch. But uh, the newspaper definitely was a uh, instrument in that becoming uh, commonplace for everyone. Everybody wanted to know the heck, what the heck was going on with Jack the Ripper. In America, when H.H. H. Holmes, the story broke, it was national tabloid media that sensationalized all that fun, gruesome news. As we get into the 20th century, newspapers and then radio uh, definitely played a major uh, part in shaping America and the world. Uh, yellow journalism, William Randolph Hearst, creating wars out of newspaper stories. I think there's a bond on that, a James Bond on that. Uh, not a very good one, but uh, they covered that. I think it's Tomorrow Never Dies, but I digress. As we get into the 20th century, it's not only the written word, but the spoken word and music that uh, now can be recorded with the Edison phonograph becoming the record player. And then in the, by the twenties, the radio, another form of getting some message out to the public and being able to control what is said instead of very few people publishing very few things. It became, there's a radio station in every town. There's a newspaper in every town. And by the forties, you've got the beginnings of consumer home, not video, but film creation with eight millimeter, 16 millimeter cameras. And the idea that a normal person can just create something and save it and watch it again, starts becoming a real uh, attainable goal. So, but there's also that, form factor and the the fact that you have to have it developed and if you especially with film pictures are one at a time film is constantly moving and if you go from light to shadow you could mess up your image or in lay, you know in layman's terms it, it, it wreaks havoc on the film grain because each film uh, is kind of tailor-made to situations. If you remember buy, going to the drugstore and buying 100 speed, 200 speed, 1600 speed, that's what that means. Uh, you would grab lower numbers if you're on a sunny day. You, you would grab higher numbers if you're indoors. So a 1600 would be for indoors, a 100 would be a bright sunny day. That's kind of as easy as we need to make it for this discussion. But uh, suffice to say, there was still that sense of you kind of have to be a spell, spe have specialist knowledge just to take a picture of your kid blowing out a birthday cake or recording his uh, the home run at his uh, baseball game. By the 50s, a company called Ampex had created. Uh, or perfected, they didn't create it, the Germans, I believe, created magnetic tape, and magnetic tape is what drove audio cassettes and VHS, and uh, you could, there was a little spinning head in the device that would record things or play things, but uh, 
it started off this on a production level, you know, TV uh, movies. They would need dailies and they would need quick, quick uh, content creation. So video became far more appealing for that, especially if they wanted to save episodes or say, you know, create a vault so that they could use a piece of footage later. It's far easier to do on tape than it is on film. Uh, and Ampex created the first successful pro professional grade uh, video recorder. I think it was called the VTR. Uh, that was in the 50s. So imagine in the 50s they had technology that would be in our everybody's den by the 80s. But it was giant. It was the size of a refrigerator. Uh, the tape was big. It was, I believe, the tape would be about two inches, three inches, almost like the size of, like, packaging tape. And that's obviously unwieldy. Uh, and, of course, it was on reels and not cassettes. Cassettes being a surrounding item to store something uh, for, to protect it. And that's the way it was until the 70s. In the 60s, Sony had a... And many others, but Sony starts becoming a major player in this by that time because they're out of the war, they're successful, transistor radios is where they made their bread and butter, so they took big devices and made them small. Uh, by the late 60s, they had a, a video format for the home, it was expensive, and most importantly, if you think about ease of user... It was on a reel, like a reel-to-reel. -reel. It looked like a reel-to-reel. -reel. If you've never seen a reel-to-reel, -reel, go watch Pulp Fiction. Vincent Vega goes to pick up Mia Wallace to take her on to dinner. And she's listening to music on, uh, it looks like a big cassette tape that's not in a cassette. Uh, so, still, a, the user uh, friendliness is not there. Uh, by the early 70s, though, the audio cassette and the 8-track were becoming successful. And Sony realized the way to get this to people is to make it small and easy to use. And they came up with their idea called the Betamax. Betamax uh, is a basically a smaller tape, very similar to a VHS if you've never seen one. But uh, suffice to say... It was a small tape that you could put in a appliance or a piece of electronics that could fit in the den, the living room of any home. And it would enable people to watch consumer tapes, say you buy a movie. But more importantly, the idea was, I want to record, record a show. The fatal flaw in it early on was that Sony was not very uh, was very short-sighted, and they made the tape small and convenient, but it only lasted an hour, so you could only record like a TV show. Think about a TV show that lasts an hour. You get one of those on one tape. The business partners that they tried to get to adopt this format wanted longer tapes, specifically... Uh, the company Matsushita, which is Panasonic and JVC, they wanted tapes. They they have the vision of Americans want to record their football game, and the football game is three and a half hours. That would take three and a half Betamaxes at the time to record. 
they wanted a tape that could be two and a half, three and a half hours. So they created their own format, VHS. And that became the dominant format for two reasons. Cheaper to make, more companies making the players, and the fact that two markets, Matsushita was right, people wanted to record sports, and uh, on another level, the uh, pornography biz business adopted it. If you watch the movie Boogie Nights, uh, early on in the movie, they're shooting film, they're doing very traditional uh, filmmaking processes, but by the time they're all jaded, it's the 80s, and they're making cheaper movies on a cheap format video, VHS. But import more important to us as a consumer is we got to choose what we could watch at home, be it uh, recording things, recording your favorite television show, or going and buying a movie uh, by the those players, those consumer grade players came along in the uh, Betamax in 75, VHS in 76, but they kind of took a while to get going as far as a consumer product. But when it boomed, it boomed in 1979 2% of households in America had some type of video player. We'll just call them a, a VCR because it applies to both. A VCR uh, was a luxury item. It was the equivalent to like $2,000 today uh, in today money if you wanted to go and buy one. And there weren't as many options to go buy them. But this funny little thing called... A rental store popped up where somebody could invest a lot of money and buy whatever was available, whatever's new and different, and you could go in there and you could pay your dollar, three dollars, and rent it for the night and go home and watch it and return it. Um, and of course, you got to, if you were a uh, football fan, you could, instead of having to sit home and watch it live, you could record it, go see the kids play, go do that family thing you had to do, and then come back and watch the game. And that was revolutionary. That is people, consumers, creating their own content by recording what they wanted to. And, of course, video cameras, home video cameras, became big in the 80s. And uh, that has, I mean, YouTube wouldn't be around if home video cameras uh, didn't explode. But I digress. And getting back to... VHS, uh, by 88, it was 50% of households had them, and by the 90s, it was in the high, I'm, I'm sure it was over 75%. If you didn't have one, you could rent a VHS player, too. So, uh, to make a long story short, VHS takes over. By the late 80s, Betamax is gone. Sony hung on to it, so they did not look uh, like they were abandoning a format, and you'll find that Sony likes to create formats of their own, and some of them fail, some of them don't. Minidiscs uh, was an audio format in the mid-90s that was really cool, better than the tape, smaller than the CD, but just didn't pick up, and uh, the format war of HD, DVD, and Sony Blu-ray Sony won that one, but 
so on and so forth. We get our VHS. VHS becomes DVD. DVD becomes Blu-ray. Blu-ray becomes 4K Ultra High Definition Blu-ray. And uh, the significance is people can come home and buy a movie and always be able to watch it. Before that, if you wanted to see Star Wars after 1977, between 1977 and the early 80s, you had to wait for it to be shown again. And what if you liked a, a small art house movie? What if it was something, something, you know, a late 70s Friedkin or Coppola movie that... Was, might not have been financially successful, but you loved it because it was good. You might not see that for years and years and years, but the advent of tape and selling tape to the consumer made it possible for you to keep that. It's yours. You have a copy of it. Uh, that kind of goes into the what we're dealing with now. You get to keep a copy of it. By the early teens streaming was booming and people ditched their cds and their physical media because it's of the convenience of having it on your phone on your tablet on your home on a player and just watching that streaming movie all the time and especially in the the audio world physical media took a nosedive but as with everything uh What's old is new again, and vinyl made a comeback, and now CDs kind of making a comeback as far as collectability. Because, truthfully speaking, streaming services on everything, the audio video uh, quality is not as good as having a physical copy. So, people have kind of we're in like a renaissance of physical media, uh, and we that comes to the days high format that uh, I very much love. I love my VHS and I love my old stuff, but seeing a 4K ultra high definition movie is absolutely gorgeous. It's You get the right player, you get the right TV, you get the right sound. It's better than going to theater because you don't have to deal with other people. No cell phones going off, baby, babies crying, all that fun and exciting stuff. So that kind of leads to what I want to discuss next, and that is what was the best and worst, we'll st- worst is so bad, we'll say most disappointing uh, movies that I saw last year, and what I am looking forward to this year. The best, we'll start with first, this is 2023, uh, the best overall movie on the best format possible, 4K ultra high def is easy. It's the it's the movie of 2023. It's Oppenheimer. Uh, beautifully shot. No one knows what he's doing. He likes big format. That 70 millimeter IMAX. Uh, so it definitely lends to having it on physical media at home, where it's never gonna have. You're not gonna have a drop in uh, quality because the kids want to. Uh, game in the other room or somebody else is watching another movie and you're going to get cut down. Uh, But you definitely want, if you can, watch it any way you can. I think it's going to be on Peacock starting here pretty quick. But definitely check that movie out in 4K Ultra High Def Blu-ray if you haven't purchased it. Um, 
the best horror movie of last year. Horror is nice because, especially in classic horror, I love the older stuff. The new stuff's perfectly fine. There's wonderful creators out there, James Wan and uh, what A24 is doing and all that fun stuff. But all those old movies that were shot on film and taking care of, you know, the important ones especially, uh, lend themselves to the 4K ultra-high-def format. The Shining is a perfect example of making that movie just what uh, the director envisioned. And being 50 years on in 2023, The Exorcist would be my favorite horror movie release of last year. Warner Brothers has a good track record of releasing amazing 4K ultra high defs, like I said, The Shining. But if you look at the the 4K catalog that uh, Warner Brothers has, they really do take good care to make that um, the best possible. I think they actually released Blade Runner. I think the rights fall to them now. And the Blade Runner Final Cut, uh, is a stunning piece of uh, 4K ultra-high-def if you haven't seen it. Uh, movie's made in 1982 and holds up today, just like The Exorcist. The Exorcist is shot in a kind of a documentarian style, but it definitely lends itself to imagery, slow shots, and when you just see those slow shots of, especially the beginning um, in, in, uh, Iraq, the, it, it's just wonderful to see. So best movie on the format last year was easily The Exorcist. And not only that, it's not that it's just a pretty movie. It's an amazing movie. One of the greatest horror movies of all time. And one of the best movies ever made, uh, from a technical and just, it's just amazing. The most disappointing movie, I would say, is... It's terrible because the movie's so good, and especially now, it is... Its um, legacy is definitely seen in the last seven, eight years with the um, A24 horror movies, especially, and the... um, Midsummers of the world is The Wicker Man, 1973's uh, British line, The Wicker Man with Christopher Lee. Amazing movie. They call it the Citizen Kane of Horror. It is the kind of the, it crystallizes and codifies folk horror. And it is an, it is an insane movie about a cop looking for a missing girl. He goes to this island and the island has a unique religion, a, um, we'll say pagan in the term of not polytheism, not in the negative tone, but it's a polytheistic religion based on, uh, cycles of the season and, uh, his investigation goes south and all sorts of exciting things happen. And, uh, it's definitely worth watching whatever format you get it. But it was just disappointing because they tried to, they, the director's cut was 
the more complete movie. It has extended scenes, and that's always good, especially if uh, the it's a true director's cut, and not just adding scenes to make it longer and sell another Blu-ray to somebody. But it does have content. But the thing with those shots that are that don't make the the theatrical in a lot of movies, especially at that time, they hit the cutting room floor or they, you know, they were put in a, in a case and forgotten about and they weren't treated as well as the original theatrical cut. And the thing with the wicker man is that it's so uneven in picture quality. It's a shame that they just didn't offer both in, in 4k, the theatrical and the directors, because when you pop into a uh, a scene that was cut from the theatrical, it's very uneven. It's not good grainy. It's noisy grainy because it you know they had to do a lot to it to restore it, and it just doesn't hold up. So you go from stunningly beautiful to ugh, it visibly can take you out of the movie, and that's constant. So. I would say the most disappointing, it's not the worst, because it's still worth owning. It's very, it was a budget for for 4K. 4K movies uh, in the physical format are not cheap. They're, you know, a good one's going to cost you $30 to $40. Uh, I think I picked this, the, the Steelbook, which the Steelbook's beautiful. The actual presentation case is stunningly beautiful. And I think it was like $22 at... Uh, Best Buy, but so you know you can't complain. It's 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 still a wonderful movie, but it just could have been so much more. So we've gone through the best and the worst. Uh, I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to in in 2024, as far as um, horror classic horror releases, three come to mind: uh, Aliens. The James Cameron 1986 awesomeness that is Aliens uh, will be coming out later this spring, I think. So it's pretty soon. I've heard I've heard whispers that they used AI to clean it up, and it kind of dis- digital noise reduction happens a lot, and that's going to be disappointing because we want to see it like it was supposed to be, like it was shot in 1985, 86, and that over correction just generally leads to smooth too much too smooth and everything looks fake and i'm hoping that's not the case because uh james cameron's titanic apparently was a stunningly beautiful release last year i the movies i don't particularly like the movie so i'm not gonna buy it just because it's uh pretty but uh i'm hoping for the ones that he's releasing you this year the abyss true lies which skipped blu-ray by the way so uh, dvd was the last time you could buy true lies which is insane i believe so pick that one up hopefully it's not ruined by dnr um but i digress so aliens is definitely the big one because alien ridley scott's 1979 awesomeness is one of the best looking 4k ultra high definition blu-rays so it has a lot to live up to the next 
release that I want to pick up is it's not necessarily a new release, but it's Universal Monsters, the 30s, 40s, 50s classics are being put onto a single release instead of having to buy them individually. Generally speaking, you get more for your money because if you're buying individually, they're 35 bucks, 30, 35 dollars. If you're buying X amount of movies at 130, you're getting them for a very, very reasonable price. And it comes in a cool package and all that fun stuff. Uh, so it'll not only be a good release to get all those Frankenstein's, Brides of Frankenstein type of movies, but you'll get it and it's going to look pretty on a shelf. The last one I'm really looking forward to in this first half, I'm sure there's going to be some towards Halloween. There's always good releases in the fall because of Halloween, but is 1978's The Invasion of the Body Snatchers with uh, Donald Sutherland. Uh, if you've never seen that movie, uh, pick it up. It is awesome. I think I will even will do a full episode on it because it is, it's a remake of, or not even a remake, it's a... It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but they go in a different direction enough to where it's unique and original to the the Siegel 1950s one. And they, of course, uh, talking about last week's episode of censorship and finding way finding people to uh, bring down. Uh, it was very much a 50s Red Scare type of movie where 1978's is... Definitely a post-Vietnam, post-Watergate paranoia of control and awesome. And the effects are good. And the cast is wonderful. Leonard Nimoy uh, is amazing in it. And can't really say much uh, too many bad things about it. It's only wonderful. So pick it up when it comes out. I think it's in April. And I think I will do a... Uh, an episode on Invasion of the Body Snatchers by itself just because it's such a significantly awesome movie. Closing thoughts, I would say the one thing I forgot to mention in going over the history of physical media, and I guess it's not a phys uh, history part of it, it's just that the one, one of the main reasons I loved... VHS, and I guess the era of it too, were the two things of movies were special still. They weren't just filler content. You, if you look at a modern streaming service, there's so much that you can't even select something good. Um, you had to go to a video store, and if you didn't want to make that trip a waste, you had to leave with something. So in 1993, if you wanted to see Jurassic Park and it wasn't there, you're going to find something else because mom brought you to that video store to rent something and you better rent something. Or uh, you got to entertain the kids this weekend and the Disney movie Lion King just came out and they don't have any because it's so popular. So you're going to get the little mermaid or you know whatever what whatever's available even if they've seen it before uh so i think one of the big things that we especially vhs people look so fondly back on it, it the aspect of the format is that sense of anticipation that sense of you and your friends on a friday night going to get a horror movie and you don't know what your video store is going to have because 
they would have, of course, um, the newest, latest, and greatest, but they would also have a strange assortment of 70s and 80s horror uh, that they've just kind of kept around because everybody wants to still rent Return of the Living Dead. So you never know what you're going to get. It was a... It was a social event. It was a um, discovering new stuff before you had a computer in your pocket that could tell you everything you ever wanted to know about anything. Uh, So it was a very fun time to consume media. And I think being VHS, uh, it was the the primary format of that. Of course, they moved to DVD and Blu-ray. But by that time, the Netflixes of the world were kind of destroying that business model of a local rental store and then streaming destroyed the rest and the that is history and we're seeing it a resurgence in people buying you probably won't see a rental store this uh, unless you're out in the middle of alaska or idaho or you know just areas where there's no internet and they still need that rental uh system there's one blockbuster left and it's in western oregon i believe But the other thing is ease of use. My grandmother, who sadly passed away uh, late last year, was a big fan of the VCR. And I think one of the big reasons why that older generation, you know, the born in the 30s, uh, 40s type of thing, uh, liked it was that you could pop a tape in and hit play and it would start. You didn't have to go through menus. You didn't have to wait for load times. You didn't have to understand a very complex remote with two title buttons and wiser fast forward and skip and stuff like that. So ease of use was uh, a big factor. And being a child of the 80s, mom takes us to Showtime Video on Main Street and I get the newest, wonderfulest Bigfoot cartoon or whatever you wanted to watch. Uh, I distinctly remember running Big Trouble in Little China when it came out. There was a giant standee of the Jack Burton poster. It was very cool. Uh, I wish I had one of those. But anyway, I digress. Kids and old people could use that format. As you get into DVD, even DVD, DVD became much more... uh, button and selection intense and the a lot of consumers just want the dang thing to play that's why cable is still around some people don't want to fuddle through menus and uh and just generally have to search for things they want to turn it on turn something on and what's on is on uh so i think being a, a kid in that time and then seeing my grandparents use technology uh, definitely form the opinion that, I, truthfully speaking, VHS is the easiest format, acceptable video quality format that has been created. So the closing of this is old might be not as pretty, but it definitely can be easier. And uh, I think it's important to keep that idea alive and especially in consumer electronics and uh even computers computers have gotten easier over time instead of more difficult if anyone ever has booted up dos or apple 2 you have to know off the top of your head command code to 
run a program, C backslash run, yada, yada, yada. Now you just click it. I think over time, uh, movie studios have realized that let's put the main movie on and make it easy, especially in 4K ultra high def, because the the data is so dense that they have to just have the movie on there. So it's very simple. Like any most new 4K movies have a play, a scenes, and generally an audio or a settings panel, but not much else. All the special features and all the tracks and all the commentaries are on that secondary disc. But the primary movie is on one disc and it's pretty easy to use. So it's nice that it's kind of come full circle. Now, if physical media sticks around for the 8K type of thing and so on and so forth, I think by the time 8K is a standard, the data... uh, necessary for everybody in their home to watch a a movie as good as a 4k ultra high definition blu-ray is right now it'll be set so we won't have any problems and uh, physical media will definitely uh pass away and we'll just be in a streaming world and for better or for worse um it's a bad thing because you don't own it you own a ticket to watch it on a server and if Voodoo goes out of business or Netflix goes out of business. The the money you spend on that is poof gone. Physical media, at the end of the day, you have it. Uh, it's unfortunate because they haven't made a brand new VHS player in probably 15 years. So you kind of become a hoarder in the sense of I have several VCRs just waiting for one to break. And if I can't fix it myself, I just pop in a new one and recycle the old one. Uh, But we're coming to that point with, uh, especially DVD, um, the the technology is failing uh, 30-year-on players don't work. Not that you really need one, but the discs are suffering from rot, uh, drying out. Uh, laser rot. If you if you watch it, or especially in video games, video games are definitely more prone to uh, laser rot. But you know, shooting a laser into that piece of physical media does have a detrimental effect over it. And you you play a game for thirty years, and it starts degrading, and eventually you're going to get uh, loss of data, uh, and your disc is going to be rendered useless. So. Uh, we're coming in a time where stuff's going to start breaking down and we're not going to be able to replace it. And that format will truly die. And I guess that's life. That's what's supposed to happen in consumer electronics and just media in general. Um, but it's one of those things where while we can, let's preserve it and watch it. I digitize a lot of my VHS and so I can watch it in that ugly old format that I love so much. Uh, but it's saving it for the future. And when the day when all those VCRs are gone and broken, I'll still have uh, that movie somehow. And I guess in closing, I just, as always, want to thank you so much for watching this. Watching this. We're listening to this. Maybe I should do video. Maybe I should gussy up my... Uh, 
room that I'm recording in, my media room, and have a video have video going at the same time. But uh, that's a decision for another time. I just want to say again, thank you so much for listening and taking the time to talk tape and top physical media. And I think next time, next episode is definitely going to be delving more back into uh, a single release. Uh, I'm narrowing it down to Invasion of the Body Snatchers or a, a fun one because it's 1974 is 50 years ago, which is an insane statement to say. Uh, the most important mo- horror movie of 1974 was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think the perspective I want to give is the rise of Texas in popular culture and definitely was elevated by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, For good or bad for Texas, I guess. As a New Mexican, uh, we have a unique relationship with Texas. They're our loud neighbor. They do lots of good to help our economy, but they also do fun and exciting things that make it harder to be a New Mexican. So I will try and uh, be as positive about most aspects as possible, but you know. Texas is a big boy, just like a lot of people don't like California, a lot of people don't like New York, a lot of people don't like Illinois, a lot of people don't like Texas, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see its ascension to being in the uh, modern cultural zeitgeist. A lot of content's now created out of there, but that is, of course, a story for another show, so thank you so much for listening in again and thank you so much for jared vanata and noble house for all he's done to help me produce this and bounce ideas off me and thank you so much i've gotten a i want to do i guess i should end on a thank you i've gotten so much positive um feedback from this i am not a classically trained orator by any means i am uh somebody who's suffered with not a speech impediment but my brain goes too fast and sometimes i trip myself up uh so i want to thank everybody for listening to this and uh the outpouring of hey you want these old tapes is wonderful or you want uh here's a uh, here's sending me an idea and they've all been wonderful and i want to thank people for support and i hope i am pleasing to listen to on a on a weekly basis. I might not be able to keep up this weekly thing, but it definitely is becoming where if I can get a two episodes a month, I think I can create a a pretty good little podcast. Uh, again, uh, it's not really important if uh, about usership and listenership. It's kind of just a thing I wanted to do and I'm taking Rick Rubin to heart and saying create something that you'll like first and if other people like it that's all all the better but if you're the only one that does like it at least you created something and on that note again thank you all for listening and you have a wonderful rest of your day recording this on Super Bowl Sunday I might eat my words but I'm not going to be It's too hard to go against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I don't bet, but if I were, I'd put money on that. And I'm going to say 27-21 
Chiefs.